the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to this special edition of the Lloyd's List Podcast, live from Posidonia. We've been recording daily updates here in Athens this week as we take the temperature of shipping via the various conferences, debates and market gossip at the parties. I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by some special guests for today's edition. With me I have uh, Peter Sand, Chief Analyst at BIMCO, Henrietta Brent-Peterson as the Global Head of Shipping and Offshore Research at DVB Bank and James Leake, Analyst at NS Lemos. Welcome everybody. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Now, you guys have just been on panel with you, Peter, at the BIMCO uh, conference here in Posidonia. Some interesting thoughts in terms of where we should be looking, but you all seem sort of fairly uh, positive on the fundamentals. Uh, Fair to say, or where where do you see the risk coming? James, can we start with you, maybe? I'm going to say risk. um, There's an element of... There's a big differential in the kind of risks faced by many of the players, and I think, particularly when you look at uh, the 2020 sulphur cap, uh, we have clear winners and losers... Uh, at that point, and we talk about you know what what will be the average earnings of this type of vessel or that type of vessel, but when even at the current spread uh, between he- heavy and uh, low sulphur fuels, you're looking at maybe ten to fifteen thousand dollars a day different earnings on a VLCC. Um, when you're looking at current bunker prices, you know efficiencies again coming into play between eco and non-eco, perhaps factoring in five, ten, twelve thousand dollars a day difference in earnings. The key is that when we approach 2020, the uncertainty is that we're, we're creating a much bigger dif- differential between the winners and losers than we've seen over the last years. And I think it will force the issue with some of the less efficient older vessels. Henry, I mean, do you concur with that analysis? And, you know, we're going to see this spread and we're going to see you know, a massive increase, I would say, in terms of the price of fuel. But, you know, some estimates say that we could be seeing a, a doubling of uh, the, yes. you know, the shipping industry's fuel bill uh, yes. by 2020. Yes. What's, I mean, what's, what's the likely impact from your perspective? We've heard some people suggesting this week that, you know, a fleet-wide slow steaming is the answer, but that seems a little naive in the sense that we've already seen massive slow steaming across the industry. Uh, of course, we will see investment in, in so, to some extent in scrappers and, and then use of alternative fuels. I think this is uh, what we look at, how, how it integrates into the strategy and, and uh, the strategy of the companies. And, and that, I think... Also, other factors in the industry are extremely important at the moment. We're talking about digitalization, automation. We're talking about uh, how this industry becomes more and more transparent and uh, how to use advanced analytics in, in, your, in your strategy. And um, in order to be on the forefront, in order to be part of the future of the, of the industry, which is obviously changing at all levels of the supply chain at the moment due to these factors. So all the regulatory... Uh, requirements that is coming into force uh, sulfur uh, in 2020 one of them an important one of them changes um, the industry and the pace at which uh, the industry is changing Mm. And Peter, I mean, that's something you've picked up in your market reports over you know, many years. I mean, we're seeing this accelerated pace of change. It's no longer simply a question of looking at the supply and demand balance. We've got you know, to account for you know, these, these uh, you know, black swans coming uh, to, to shipping. Where, where do you see the risk coming over the next uh, sort of 12 to 18 months and then perhaps a little beyond? 
Uh, I'd like to put uh, increased focus on the 2020 sulfur cap uh, issue, as uh, that was also one of the uh, main topics of the PIMCO power panel that, that, that just uh, was, was wrapped up a moment ago. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's extremely fair to, to ask the question, who is going to pay for this? Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, it's a matter of who pays for the bunkers. Is it on time charter? It's a no-brainer. But all the ships in the spot market, what's going to be the benchmark of the shipping industry going forward? Will it be the eco-ships that burns less fuel? Will it be the uh, the, uh, the old gas customers? What kind of uh, benchmark are we looking at? And to what extent can owners and operators pass on these extra costs to customers? Mm. I think we need to focus on the, uh, the fundamental issue that there is still uh, too many ships uh, around. We're uh, in a working in an environment of overcapacity, and when you are working in an environment of overcapacity, you simply cannot expect to pass on the bill at full extent or perhaps even at a low extent. So, uh, so uh, owners and operators uh, are sitting on a huge fuel bill right now. Uh, which uh, they they need to find a way to get around. Mm. And speaking of bills, I mean the the issue of uh, scrubbers versus compliant fuels was obviously you know, a massive topic, not just in this panel, but you know across the whole week. A lot of people are really sort of wondering, have we missed the boat? I mean, James, you made the point that you know there's a narrow window here of opportunity to make scrubbers work as an investment strategy. For scrubbers to work, um, we need to have a number of things in place. Uh, the voyages, the typical voyages of the vessel in question have to be predominantly uh, long sea voyages with uh, very few port calls. They have to be going past the major ports where we can be certain that the high sulfur fuel oil will be present. And I think they have to be the largest ships, either ultra-large container ships, fees, capes, for which the investor in a, investment in scrubber is a relatively low proportion of the overall cost of the asset. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And typically, yes, uh, very correct, uh, the definitely a young asset um, and I think what what supports the investment is the spread between the heavy fuel oil and whatever uh, sulfur compliant fuel is being used in its place and at the moment it's anyone's guess what that spread is going to be but already you're seeing priced in on the forward curve is it in at least three hundred dollars a ton between uh, a similar fuel uh, choice to the ultra low sulfur so at that kind of uh, differential it makes sense mm. but take us forward two years or so um, the fuel sellers the refiners will inevitably retool their production to sell the high value product yeah. and that that spread will inevitably close and, and at least at the point of sale I don't think you can guarantee you're going to be able to enjoy that spread at most of the bunker ports they, they will charge what they can get away with charging if there's not enough supply within 500 miles. In many ways, uh, this uh, this actually represents a little bit of a say copycat of what happened uh, leading up to uh, January 1st, 2015, when we saw the increased uh, sulfur limits also coming into force in uh, Baltic Sea and North Sea. Mm. And it's still the same variables that we're looking at. It's the most important one being the... Uh, the, the spread between the heavy fuel oil and compliant fuel, and it's the uh, the age of the ship. Back then it was also the uh, time spent inside an ECHA, but since it's now a global ECHA, that one's left out. So so those are still the two things that matter, and, and you can basically put them on formula if you uh, at least go by a reasonable assumption of what kind of sulfur spread mm. or, or price spread. Are you, uh, are you focusing on? Henrietta, you mentioned in terms of you know, actually financing you know, these, yeah, yeah. Uh, the decision to retrofit or, to, or in, in, even in new buildings. Yeah. A lot depends on the age of the vessel and many other factors as well. 
it, for us, it's very important. We, we can see that it has become a point of negotiation between the owner and the charterer. Whether and, and, and you see various different solutions on who's paying for the scrubber installation. But this has, for us, it, it has a significant importance when you're looking at the employment prospects of the, of, of the vessels, for so, uh, whether it's more attractive. So we can apply a lower risk in terms of employment, uh, which is very important for our cash flow forecasting. So uh, in, in that sense, uh, these assets for some trades can, or some classes of, of assets can become more attractive. Uh, in, in securing this employment, which again lowers the risk for us. Mm. So it, it, it's, a, it's a holistic approach that we have when we evaluate the risk and the attractiveness. Because of course, uh, we also asked, are we going to apply a premium on the value? Um, ultimately down to uh, when we estimate in all the covenants from the bank side, also loan to value is a very important covenant. Mm. So that uh, what what premium should we apply, if any at all, on the valuations? Mm. And uh, James, um, final question. I think uh, you know the, you raised the India question. You've been talking about India for many years. You're suggesting that we've underestimated, and you know we haven't really focused on India where we should. But it's never really reached the sort of that that top of the agenda for the industry. You, do you think that's now finally changed? We should be looking at India more seriously. Maybe my answer to the question is also a note of concern, perhaps, about assumptions about Chinese growth as much as it's uh, a tone of optimism about India, uh, in as much as uh, attempts to relax the single child, child policy have not so far seemed to result in a significant increase in the birth rate, which leaves China with a difficult sort of population pyramid issue in terms of you know, the number of economic entrants to the market you know, age 18, 19, leaving school, university or whatever into becoming fully-fledged consumers. Uh, whereas India, certainly a lower GDP per head, but when you look at their population period, pyramid of any country in the world, you know, India by far has the largest number of new economic entrants approaching, you know, coming into maturity every year. Mm. And that, I think, is, is an opportunity uh, in terms of all industrial raw materials, consumer goods, the construction industry and transport. Um, yes, I don't see them all going out and buying either petrol-driven or uh, electric vehicles uh, straight off, off bat, but in terms of uh, certainly the construction industry, um, their population is still growing strongly and um, people's aspirations are, are definitely growing. Uh, in order to, uh, to um, well, put things into perspective also I'd simply like to highlight here wrapping up uh, the fact that uh, that we are talking very intensely on uh, on a fuel bill and, and different uh, considerations around the 2020 silver cap but it all originates from extremely poor freight markets I mean if this were to be implemented on January 1st 2008 perhaps nobody would even uh, bother discussing it anymore but right now Nobody is really making a serious sum of money in the shipping industry. So we simply do not have the money to do it. Uh, and that's, I guess, the Columbus Act to solve uh, come January 1st, 2020. Brilliant. Well, that seems like a pretty good place to wrap it up. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining me. And uh, we'll be back again tomorrow with more from Posidonia. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you.